go, 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 work, work. If you're not in the gym, you're on the field. If not on the field, you're resting. If you're not resting as a student athlete, go to work, make some money. If I'm not at work making money, I'm at home. And then, you know, being the stereotypical athlete of a guy, if I'm not doing that, then I'm going to pick up some chicks. So there was like this never ending cycle of habits that were being developed. And, um, you know, becoming a man for me was recognizing that there were some things that needed to change in that cycle. My name's Frank Reno. I went to the University of Windsor, Ontario, played linebacker, as well as the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Hamilton Tiger Cats. And I'm an entrepreneur, business owner, hustler. And you're listening to At The 55. Okay, continuing with the talk, we now welcome to the show former Windsor Lancer, former member of both the Hamilton Tigats and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers linebacker, Frank Renault. Frank, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Great, thank you. How are you guys doing? No, we're, we're good. We're good. We're always happy to be talking with football guys yes, about sir. anything and everything related to football. And of course, with this series, it's all about athletes who've dealt with mental health or just the conversation around mental health in the sport. And you've been very open and publicly open about some of the things you've dealt with in your life and your experience playing football. So why don't I just hand the floor over to you, kind of introduce for those listening who might not know a bit of your story talk a bit about what you've dealt with as a football player in cis u sport level and at the cfl Mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean long story short where it started was when i was in high school i was experiencing like physical issues that i couldn't explain i went to the doctor the doctor said that i was dealing with depression and anxiety so i didn't really know anything like the the discussion of mental health wasn't there but i was just being told like you have something take medication and you're good took the medication eventually as a teenager you know you go off and you do other things and you forget it's just whatever and the and this kind of this kind of went away um i dealt with my own issues um upon reflection looking back i was dealing with depression and anxiety and all the things but i didn't i couldn't Put a put a name to it because it was just experiences that were really slowing me down, messing me up. But you know, the the culture in football is you can't really talk about it. Like you got to just tough it out. So naturally, it transformed for me, like suppressing it to me just dealing with it, and it became another part of the day. So I kind of see it as like the the suffering and the pain. It went from being like something that I was like, oh, you know, this sucks. I don't want to deal with it to all, you know, it's part of the game. You know, I just chalk it up as part of the game and off I went. And there was, there was actually a a point where it reached, um, it reached like a a breaking point when I was in university. I just came back after tearing my ACL. Um, We actually, we were playing Guelph and dude, I was not in my body for that whole game. I don't know what happened, but there was a point uh, shortly after the game where I finally like returned to my body. And I ran, I was like, holy shit. Like I was playing in a football game, but I was not in my body. It was as if I was watching myself play football. I can't make this up. We had, I mean, we won the game, but like, I just, I remember when I finally like returned to my body, I was walking down the, 
we were shaking hands and Donovan Carter, he was a DC. He just left Windsor. He was in Guelph and, you know, he said some things and I don't really remember. I was like, I was in a daze. I was just figuring my, figuring myself out. And so, yeah, I was watching myself play a football game. Mind you, I had one of the best games I've had in my, in my CIS career, but yeah, I was watching and I was like, okay, what's going on? This is not normal. I got to talk to somebody about this. So that was really, that was the moment where I was like, okay, something's not normal. I got a shift. And I ended up, I got an appointment with a therapist and that was my first time talking to a therapist with the intention of sorting out whatever was going on. That season was one of the most challenging football seasons I'd ever had because upon reflection, I was dealing with depression. I wasn't really sure if I even wanted to play football anymore. I was kind of just doing it because I was good at it. And it was my only thing. Um, and I, I knew that on the other side of it, I just got drafted. I was like, okay, I'll, you know, I, I just finished a camp with Winnipeg. I was like, all right, you know, I can go play football. And, but this, this moment happened and it was really just a moment for me to to consider like there's something going on. So I got to check it out. Like I said, I went to the therapist, we started talking about it and I didn't really, I didn't really get an answer to the, the topic of discussion about me being out of body, but it just sort of started bringing light to this idea that anxiety and, and kind of that, um, that fight or flight will put you in a position where you're just going to start, well, essentially, you're going to go through a fight or flight um, response. And so in that moment, it was really just I was in battle. I didn't know it was more of like an instinctual habit. And I just played ball. And what was neat about that upon reflection was that it was kind of like, you know, I've been in the zone before, but this was really in the zone in a new way. I, I remember at points in the game how I was almost like seeing plays before they were happening. And so there was one point in particular, I was like, there's a screen coming. It's a screen. I didn't know where it was coming from. And it ended up being a, a middle screen to the receiver. And I was so busy freaking out about the play that I almost missed the tackle. And it was just like, it was just a big whole, like, I, I look at it now as like a just whole mystical experience that opened my eyes to something else. And it all, it all started there. So, you know, I went to the therapist, talked to her and I went through the season and I wasn't really inspired by football anymore. Um, football seemed like a tedious task. I wasn't really, uh, I wasn't really excited about football, but I also knew that I was going through something that I had to sort out and kept going to my therapist. And I remember one particular, uh, instance or experience with my therapist. Um, the first session she goes, be kind to yourself at the end. And I said, I'll try. And then by the fourth session, Two months later, she said, be kind to yourself. And I said, I will. And so that was just a small shift that was benefited from speaking to my therapist was that, you know, I'd never really talked to anybody about anything. And that was, that was just a room where I could go into and have an honest discussion about what's going on in my life and know that the, you know, for the, for honestly, quite honestly, the first time in my life, the floor would be mine to have a discussion talking about my issues. Um, and I say that because in my life, I never really had an opportunity to speak on what was going on. And it's not from a victim's perspective, it's from the circumstances of my life. And it highlights that it's really important to 
get out what's going on in your mind. And I say that because as an athlete, when we have things that are on our mind, there's a high likelihood that they're not going to go anywhere and they can, they can dramatically affect our play on the field. And I found that even after speaking with my therapist, it did improve my game a little bit, but that was just the beginning of unpacking a whole, a whole can of worms that I didn't even know was there. And so um, it really started there. And that was interesting because it started there, but then it shut off. And I never really thought about it until um, we dove into 2017. And 2017 was where I began to get into football and get back into it. Cause I, I ended up taking a break. I took a two, three month break off of football. And I was just, I was out of it. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go back, train for football. And I'm going to commit to making the football team. And so I did, I went back to training. Things were going well. And, you know, I had really identified as a football player. So it was easy for me to synchronize with being an athlete. I got back into it got back on my feet, lost the weight that I gained and just overall was back in my groove. And so 2017 came around and it was, it was great. I mean, I went back to Winnipeg and I went through camp. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if you guys know that much, but like when the game switches over to finances, it's not quite a game anymore. It's a business. And I wasn't ready for that. And so where this really affected me and my mental health was that when I went to Winnipeg with the intention of making the team, I did everything I could in that training camp. And at the end of the training camp, I remember I was actually roommates with John Rush. He went to Guelph too. And, you know, I remember that morning hearing the knock on the door and I'm like, <clears throat> and I was like, I hope they go to his door. And then I hear another <laughs> knock on my door and I'm like, Oh, you know, and I was crushed because at the time, you know, all I had was football and my only experience was like, okay, I, I gave everything I got and now you're going to tell me I'm cut. So I really, I started having this sour, you know, this sour kind of taste and um, go to the space and they're like, okay, we're not going to cut you. We're going to put you on the practice roster. I was like, all right, cool. But this was hard for me because I had other issues I had been dealing with prior to that were affecting my performance and, you know, which really pertain to finance. And so that was something that was weighing on me. And I was like, okay, if I don't make the roster, then I won't be getting paid and da, da, da. And the reason why I say that part too, is because all of these factors, they all weigh on your mental health. There's all aspects that they, they, they take a toll on your mental health. And especially if you don't talk about them. And here I am 22, 23 years old, going into the CFL, having financial issues, having mental health issues, not communicating anything with anybody. So I'm struggling and battling everything that's going on in my life. I'm dealing with on my own. Now I can't speak for every athlete out there. I can only speak on my own story, but what I do know is that there's probably other athletes out there that are going through a lot of struggles and don't communicate at all. And what I do know is that I would have most definitely benefited from reaching out and letting somebody know what I was going through. And I understand now that the reason why I didn't was, of course, because of the, the culture of an athlete that you can't show weakness because then, you know, it might stop you from playing in the whole bit. But what I understand now is that there was always people around me that were ready and willing to support me. I just wasn't ready to 
receive that support. And so a lot of that has to actually do with how it, how I grew up, how I was raised and all the habits and the ways of being that I learned. So that's part of what inspires me today talking about mental health and the whole bit is because I understand that it's, it's a lifelong process of developing uh, ways of being that are affected and affect mental health. And so it's also going to take a long time to unlearn those habits, learn new habits, um, become aware of how we're operating and how we're living our life. And it's, it's a never ending process. And so in a nutshell, you know, one thing led to the next and I ended up playing for six weeks while I was in Winnipeg. And when I was in, when I was in Winnipeg playing, I ended up playing week one through six. And that was awesome because I was like, Oh, you know, somebody, somebody pulled a hammy and I was in for six weeks, but where this was challenging was again, I had no other experience that I had learned about outside of my own. I wasn't talking to anybody about it. I was just going through it on my own for the fear that if I shared anything, I would be perceived as weak. And the, you know, the whole story goes on and on. And after week six, I got put back on the practice roster again, crushed. I was crushed. And at that point with zero guidance, no, no understanding of, mental well-being and and self-love and all these great practices that I have now, um, I went into a big rut and I pretty much, I'd go to the field, I'd go to practice, and then I'd come back home and I pretty much, I would eat junk food, I'd smoke weed, and I'd sit at home and do nothing. And it was really because I, you know, I had no coping, no coping tools for living life outside of football and no coping tools to cope with the idea of what was going on in the game when it comes to money. And so one thing led to the next, I ended up, I was really out of it. I ended up going back into a slump of depression and three weeks after I was put back on the practice roster, I got cut by Winnipeg because uh, I misread the schedule and I missed a practice. And so I missed meeting or rather I missed a meeting on a Sunday morning. And at that point, one of my teammates called said, where are you? said, oh, you know, I'm at home. He said, get over here now. You missed a meeting. Pull up to the stadium. And then the head coach, Michael Schaefer, first person I saw, and he's like, you're out. I was like, shit. And now here I am, you know, some some random rookie not knowing what's going on. And one thing led to the next. I was very blessed and fortunate. Spent a couple weeks in Hamilton. Played football there. And this is the craziest part. I was going through this whole depression situation back in my rut. And right when I got back from Hamilton, I got a call from my agent. He said, you want to try out for Toronto? I'm like, sure. You know, I'll try it on a Wednesday. On the Monday, I was like, hey, you know, let's go, let's go hard, right? I'm out of shape. Let me get back in shape. I completely gassed my legs, crushed them. And I had a, I had a tryout for a professional football team on a Wednesday. <laughs> and again, I don't know the game. I'm just playing football. I go out there and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to go. I got crushed by this, by this tryout. The, the trainer, the, the special teams coach, they knew my legs were wobbly and they just kept pushing until they, they wanted to see me break. Out of, it got to a point where it wasn't even a tryout anymore. It just turned into they wanted to see me break. And at that point, I was really beat up because I had just gotten cut for the second time. And I was in a position where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm getting crushed right now. And these guys are like laughing at me. This is awful. And, you know, as an athlete, you know, you can either – get crushed by your circumstances and give up or rise up. And 
you know, I'm very fortunate that I had the mentality of like, I'm not going to give up. And so, although, you know, despite going through all those, the, the depression and everything, I realized that I had an opportunity to shift. And so I did, and I went back to training and I ended up going back to Winnipeg to finish the season. Thankfully, I thank God for that opportunity. And it put me in a position where I had a chance to make the roster next year. Um, and so the, the off season comes around and I go through all that. And I share all this because these are just like the little bits that lead up to really the, the cataclysmic moment, the big bang, I call it in my life. Uh, when I was 25 in 2018, I finally cracked the roster. I worked my ass off in the off season. I came back and I was flying down the field. I'd fixed a lot of my issues with my hips and my back. And I was, I was feeling really good. And life was looking pretty good for me. I was working my way up the roster, making plays and earning trust and all the things that I didn't know I was doing then. But now I see how it works in the game. And we were, we were playing in, in BC. It was on a Saturday, I believe maybe July 21st or 20th, 19th, somewhere in there. And I did a lot of visualization for games. And for this particular game, I saw the game, but it went, it went dark. There was some point in the game where it went dark. And I was like, what's going on? I was aware of it, but I didn't know. Get to the game, and I tear my ACL. And this was a big moment in my life because I tore my ACL for the second time. And I was I was beat, but I was also optimistic. So I was I was kind of in this in this middle ground of like, this is pretty shitty. I just tore my ACL. But then I was also optimistic where I was like, okay, I'm gonna bounce back. And then upon reflection, I realized that I had just experienced trauma and I never actually took time to process it. And so I say this because we go through a lot of trashy times in our life. And as athletes, we often don't give ourselves time to process what we go through. It's kind of like trauma, keep going. And part of that process, and I, I would say specifically in football, is because there's this mentality that you just have to keep going. You can't stop. The, the show must go on. And what upon reflection, what that made me realize is that in me not acknowledging and accepting the trauma that I had experienced, I was setting myself up for um, a long, hard road of, of work and development of myself because I just, I never took time to look at anything. And this was, uh, this was an experience that put me in a position where I had to stop and I had to take stock of what was going on, where I was at. And one thing led to the next, and I was about two to three months into rehab. Uh, I just, I tore my ACL on the Saturday. I had pretty much surgery on my knee the next weekend, and I started rehab. Now, this is where it starts to get even more interesting is because at this point, I was just rehabilitating my knee. All of my energy and focus was on my knee and rehabbing, and I was like, okay, I'm going to rehabilitate my knee, come back next year, play football, life is good, whatever, you know? And then there was something that kind of hit me somewhere in that, in that, in that mess, that cloudy fog that I realized now was just a messy time for me. Um, I had been drinking and just kind of just let myself go while I was rehabbing, but the rehab was like the band-aid to all the other stuff that I wasn't taking care of. Um, and then I, it hit me one morning and I was like, Frank, like, do you really think you're going to go back and play football? And if so, like, all right, but you're more than a football player. Like, what, who are you? What are you? And I started, like, the, all these things started coming up in my mind. 
And it just, it kind of happened one day I woke up and I, I remember I was watching YouTube videos and doing all this. I was just so interested in, in more. And one thing led to the next and I ended up, uh, something, something shifted in me and I was like, okay, like I'm, I felt this, this need to discover more about myself. I, I just missed there was some stuff came up about um, I was I was reflecting on trauma in my life that I had overlooked all the things that I never processed everything was coming up and it, it crushed me built me up I was going through this wave of emotion crying and happy um, mind you I was alone in Winnipeg all of my friends and family were back home in Windsor so I was reaching out to them they didn't know what was going on because last they heard from me I was doing well in football then my knee then I tore my ACL and then I'm off the game and they haven't heard from me. And then I pop back up and I have all this energy and happy, sad, the whole bit. And I went through this process of uh, rediscovering myself. And eventually I ended up getting admitted into the hospital for a clinically diagnosed manic episode. And I shared a bit about my, a, a bit about that experience actually on my Instagram uh, this, this past Friday on Bell that's talk day and so that story was important because for a couple of reasons one i didn't know what was going on um but i was moving with purpose so in that in that mindset i was moving with purpose everything was intentional but i didn't know what i what was going on um things that were said and speaking to doctors i have all the documents they were they were quite clear in what i was saying um, they make sense to who I speak to now. I was talking about peace, happiness, love, and all these cool things that I love preaching. But where I was, I was placed in a box of bipolar disorder based on previous um, diagnosis of depression and this documented episode of mania. So one thing led to the next, and I was now in this box. And without any any knowledge or identification of self, dealing with depression, getting out of football, the whole bit, I was kind of left in like, I felt like I was dumped in a hole left to die. And, uh, you know, I talk about this experience in particular, because the the whole stigma and like the, the deal with mental health is that it is, you know, nobody actually knows what goes on behind the scenes in the rut. Um, you know, I had a friend who worked in a hospital. He would tell me how they, he was like, yeah, we would like beat these people and like throw them in rooms and the whole bit. And I was in there and I'm one of those people. I'm like, you know, like there's all these stories. And, you know, the truth is now is these are, these are all just, we're all just people that are going through experiences and nobody gives you a book on life. So, you know, we're being, we're being told that our experience is one thing when we believe it's another and then we're being put in a box by people who don't actually know us. They have a story that's being told to them by a book. And there's this whole, this whole, this whole story behind it that may or may not be true. And so, yeah, I mean, long story short, it, there's, there's a whole, there's a whole bit to unpack, but it took me on a big adventure. Well, you know, it's an incredible story. Uh, you kind of taking us through that, I guess, well, I was going to say four year span, but it seems like it's a continuing journey that you are currently still on. Yeah. There's a lot of things I know we're going to want to sort of dive in to there with what you talked about 
first let's go back to 2016 when you were talking about that game against Guelph. Um, you were mentioning that's following that game was your first time speaking with a therapist. I'm curious, was that a resource that was provided to you on campus or through the team, or was that outside of the University of Windsor? Yeah, so the the university actually covers um, therapy, unlimited therapy for students. So I didn't know that. Yeah, it's amazing. I didn't know that. They cover unlimited therapy um, through the university. So there's therapists hired by the university, and then there's $500 to uh, work with a therapist outside the university. Um, I'm very fortunate that therapist that I talked to when I was in university in 2016, um, I still see her now. And so I've just had a continuing relationship with her. And it's nice, especially as I talk to her now, she, she was the one who saw me at the beginning of the adventure in the middle, dealing with the deeper, darker days and seeing me on the other side. And it's just fun to be able to see all parts of it too. So it's awesome. No, that's incredible. And I'm sure obviously having someone who's that familiar with the things that you've gone through as well, or sometimes probably better than you can understand it, uh, is so is so essential. Uh, something else you mentioned in reference to that game, though, was this feeling of playing in this daze. You kind of mentioned this, this, this weird state of mind that you weren't really sure what was going on. And it was interesting, as you were saying that, I felt like I had similar experiences where maybe a game where if I didn't get a concussion, I definitely got my bell rung, you know, finishing a game and kind of that fuzziness of, I have a vague idea of what just happened for the last, you know, hour and a half, two hours, but it's, 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 it's kind of unclear. And obviously the conversation around concussions has really um, increased over the last decade or so in football as well. And perhaps it reflects some of the rise in conversation around mental health too. And, and no doubt there's a connection there, but I wonder if perhaps, you know, that sort of fuzzy state of mind in many times gets sort of quickly diagnosed or assessed as, oh, you took a bit of a hit to the head, bell ringer, shake it off, you'll be good the next day, as opposed to what you had the wherewithal to think and say, well, maybe this is actually a bit more a bit more essential, or I'm not sure the word I'm looking for, but this is more than just, hey, I might have t- you know, lowered my crown on that tackle or something, and I'm a little more fuzzy. Do, do you think that there is anything in terms of the conversation of football around concussions, but also mental health that perhaps makes it a bit, not tough to discuss, but hard to pinpoint down the exact issue at hand? Yeah. Um, so I've never really had a diagnosed concussion, but I do know that I have many, I've had many moments where I was kind of, there she is. Um, I've had many, okay. <laughs> for, for our audio listeners right now, Frank's cat has joined the Zoom call. Yeah, she's sleepyhead. <laughs> You know, um, I've had I've had mo- one particular moment. I actually um, I was flying down the field on a kickoff, first play of the game. We were playing Western, and I and I bonked somebody, and it just knocked me. Like I made the tackle, cool, but blanked, <laughs> forgot all the plays, and and yeah. was that a concussion or was that a trauma response from like a hard hit that mm. shook me up, and I went into fight or flight and like shut down right because i still remembered the plays kind of but i was so in panic freaking out that maybe for a moment it was you know like just a hard hit that shook me up and then i panicked because i went into like freak out mode and kind of shut down so like there's there's so many aspects to it um it could be either or i feel like 
you know, we're playing a game where we're going to high speeds and knocking heads the whole time. There's there's bound to be concussions. I also feel like there's an aspect of mental health and dealing with trauma and playing with a clear, uh, clear sound mind that can affect it too. So there's there's definitely both. I'm no I'm no doctor that's going to say I know other than my experience. Sure. Um, but I do believe that there's a, a significant um, connection between performance as an athlete and their mental health. Another point that you raised that I. I found really interesting, I don't know if I've ever thought of it, was you were kind of talking about the mentality in the game of football, which so consistently is next play, you don't really have time to assess what just happened, even if it is something rather traumatic. Just continue on, continue on, and when it's all said and done, we'll watch the tape and we'll figure out what happened. And I'm sure we've all heard a number of coaches talk about that you can't compartmentalize your your life. So if the things you do outside the sport of football, you know, stay organized, stay on top of your school, because if you're lazy and those things are not staying on top of those, then that's going to translate to the way you are on the football field. But if that's true, then the reverse must be true too, where the way we approach the game of football then seeps into our daily life outside of it. So even if it's unintentional, going to practice for years on end and this mentality, which is no doubt appropriate within the game of football, you know, not getting caught up on, on what just happened, unless, of course, it's, you know, significant enough that you, you need to leave the, the play of field. But as long as you were on that field of play, you know, it's a fast-moving game. It's a dangerous sport if you're not 100% there. Next play, next play, next play. But then leaving that field of play, leaving the locker room, leaving the stadium, and that same mentality continuing with you, even though it's not a mentality that perhaps is as necessary or necessary at all when it comes to just being a human being living in the world outside of our sport. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, it, it it it's like the the habits you develop, as you said, off the gridiron, they definitely affect, and then vice versa. And this was something that, as you were speaking, it really it struck in me that I recognized how I showed up in my relationship um, was very ref- um, similar to how I had lived my life in football and football had turned into probably half of my life up to that point. I'm um, starting at 13 playing until 26, 27 um, or 25 rather. So 12 years, that's a long time. And um, you develop habits and ways of being and the whole idea of like stopping, reflecting, watching film. When, when we play a football game, we finish the game and then we go after we watch the film. When you're living your life, you never really have an opportunity, so to speak, to like sit back and watch the film. And so um, the habits that I developed through football were like, go, 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 work, work. If you're not in the gym, you're on the field. If not on the field, you're resting. If you're not resting as a student athlete, go to work, make some money. If I'm not at work making money, I'm at home. And then, you know, being the stereotypical athlete of a guy, if I'm not, doing that, then I'm going to pick up some chicks. So there was like this never ending cycle of habits that were being developed. And, um, you know, becoming a man for me was recognizing that there were some things that needed to change in that cycle. Um, And so, yeah, there's like, there's, there's so much, like, there's so much to it that can, that can be unraveled, but essentially, yeah, it, it does go both, it does go both ways. And the habits developed on the football field can and will impact the athlete after they're done, most definitely. And 
for some cases, that's a, a bad thing, but definitely I think for some cases, you know, there's a lot of life lessons that can be learned in football and, and taught to by a coach, but you know, coaches aren't always, and this isn't a shot at any coaches, coaches aren't always thinking about how, what they're teaching right now is going to affect after football or even just outside of football. And like you were saying, you played from 13 to 26. Not only is that when your body is developing, but that's when your mind is developing. Um, and I, I don't necessarily say you have any answers, but what do you think that coaches could do or organizers could do or at like the university level admin can do to kind of like check in on their athletes or just make sure that like they're taking care of their well-being outside of just physio for ACL yeah. or, you know, going to the gym and stuff well, like the, that. Well, the big thing is, is that, you know, from my experience with university, they, they're just, there wasn't enough on a football team. There's not enough staff to, to cater to or attend to a hundred football players. Um, so it, it's a pretty lethal combination of um, limited staff and ex- a large amount of athletes. Um, honestly, what needs to happen, I see it more from like the victor, uh, the victor standpoint rather than the victim that first of all, we should educate athletes on what's available to them um, and, and make sure it hits home. Cause you can talk to a room, you can talk to an audience, but if it doesn't hit home, then it's not going to hit home. And so it's really important to, to advocate to athletes that there's resources for them. Um, whether or not my coach has said anything, I don't recall really, um, having it be told to me that I had say up to $10,000 in, um, in coverage from the university when it comes to chiropractic, physio, the whole bit, I had to go and find that. Um, but that was me not being the victim to my circumstances. Right. And what I feel would be best is to take some dedicated time to teach athletes self-care, uh, in particular male athletes, because, as men in a society, and this is pertaining to men's mental health, um, I find that the the typical man of the past, as we transition into a new way of being, does not does not take part in self care as much as they should. And this isn't a knock on anybody. This is just in my experience of my life and how I live it now. That you know, if we if we look at women, they're like self care queens. They're all about it. And, you know, they paint their nails. They take all the showers and the baths and the whole bit. And I'm like, you know what? I deserve to take care of myself a bit too. And I'm like, all right, oh, yeah. you know, I'm going to get a haircut. And what what else am I going to do? I'm going to eat good food and exercise and talk to my homies and like and incorporate a bit more of that. And I feel like that's something that should be taken more seriously. Self-care, um, as, from my experience, I work with some athletes and to them, self-care is like video games. And this isn't like, I love them. I was them. I did this, but now I can, now I can be the coach looking back. It was like self-care with video games, working out, going to the bar and making money. And I'm like, okay, I love you, but we get to add more to that toolbox because that's just not going to fly. And I feel like what athletes could definitely benefit from is a more uh, broad toolbox. So whatever that looks like to the CIS or athletes in general, because, man, let me tell you, I, I, it happened to me, and I see it happen all the time that these athletes get put into a system, their bodies get used and beat up, and they get spit out at the other end with sometimes no education. They've barely evolved their ways of being. They don't have a lot of tools in the toolbox, and they're, they're kind of slumped for a little bit, and it's just it's, it's, it's tragic. 
to say the least, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely happens far too much. I mean, one is too much, but it definitely happens way more than just to one athlete. And you're, you're saying how Windsor, you know, had those resources. And kind of looking back on it, I feel that when I went to Western, we had similar resources, but... I don't know many people that actually looked at their benefit packages when they signed up. Like when you actually break down your tuition, you kind of see where it all goes and you're like, Oh, I'm paying $700 for dental. Why am I not going using like this dentist? Why am I using this other coverage? Um, and this is less of a question, more of just me kind of ranting here, but around bell, let's talk to you. I don't know if you had actually gotten a chance to listen to our episode. I got a little bit of uh, qualms with it. We'll call it um, universities and colleges and all that stuff are always saying, Oh, like, you know, there's yoga this week or, you know, we have, you know, free smoothies to get your body right for this week just to take care of yourself. But they never really say, hey, yo, by the way, there's free therapy mm-hmm. at school. By the way, you know, if you need counseling, there's counseling. If you're not comfortable talking to a school ther- like counselor, you have extra $500. By the way, you know, massage therapy yeah. is covered. They never really advertise that. And like, let's be realistic here. I mean, school's a business, so they don't really want to lose yeah. that money by covering that. But I just think that it's it kind of you know if we're we're putting all this money in and we're there and especially football players like yourself putting your body on the line and your your mental state on the line and then schools aren't really they're giving you the resources but not really telling you about it. I think it's kind a little yeah. bit shady so yeah it's not really well, questions it's just no, I'm here for because bit. you know when I was an athlete and even as I went back and helped out with the university a little bit um, I said to the guys I was like do you guys know that you have this list of things they're like what I'm like yeah. Let's go get you some new glasses. Let's go do massages. And the hardest part is that, like, I can't do it for them. Like, I'm not going to walk them by hand into the chiropractor and be like, crack them up and let me help you. But like, you know, they have to, and that's the part where um, there, there definitely deserves to be a system that empowers athletes, prepares them for university. Um, men's athletes get to learn more self-care, self-care all around, you know, um, great, you can lift heavy weight, but how's your mobility and how will that affect you in the long run? And so those are things that I try to impart wisdom on these kids. Um, when it comes to all those bits, you know, yeah, it definitely is a business. And I've said it before, there's going to be, there's going to be people who don't want to share about benefits because that means the premium goes up. No doubt it's a business, but what I can do is I can continue to empower the athletes and let them know, like, use your stuff. You have it. You have 365 days to use it all use it get get free stuff get some get it get a pair of glasses get some contacts get those uh get the the things for the feet whatever you can do use it i got a 1500 dollars brace for 200 bucks use it use it use it use it and the truth is they're going to use it if they feel empowered to that's up to them to seek and that's up to us as a community to create an environment where they feel empowered um speaking to the bell let's talk thing like i'm i'm here for it for the, for the reason that at least there's a day that there's a very concentrated effort. Um, I feel like it's a bit, uh, it's a bit distracting, like, Hey, look over here, but this is actually it. You know, that's an aspect. Um, I had a moment last year, I thought about it and, you know, I said my piece and I realized at the end of the day, they're doing, they're doing what they feel is right. There's also just this whole aspect of like the stigma behind it. When I was in the dark, like when I talk about the dark in the cave, when I was in my part of my language, but when I was in my shit, you know, um, I was, I was going through it. Nobody was reaching out to me, checking up on me, seeing how I'm doing. And the stigma is that like, 
that person is seeking attention like okay that person's suicidal they're seeking attention that person's depressed i don't want to be around that that person's anxious i don't want to hear about it or that person is um you know let's say those are specifically those but like let's say it's somebody who's anorexic oh i don't want to tell them anything about their weight you know or that whatever the situation is people don't want to talk about it because it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable because we don't talk about it so what's best to do is to have open conversations about it to make it a normal conversation like talking about the color red or the color blue and i mean it's not a one-stop shop everything's going to work but I've even noticed when I talk about suicide, like it makes people cringe, but it's like, no, no, no. Like this is real. Like people kill themselves literally because they're having a hard day sometimes. And that's tragic. That's tragic that somebody feels that their life is, you know, their life is that awful that after one tough day. And, and this is where I'm very fortunate that I have many cool perspectives that I intend on sharing and putting out into the world that will support people in that. Cause it's just, that's not fair. And those are the real things that athletes should hear about when it comes to mental health and everything else. Well, <clears throat> you're hundred percent right. Um, in saying that, and it's great that cause you're back at Windsor right now coaching. Mm. Um, so that you have this opportunity to share with uh, the new generation of players who then hopefully, and we've kind of joked about this before, whether it's about these topics or just anything, you know, coaches to player, there's so many messages that go, you know, in one year, out the other. So really trying to make this message of any message you could ever tell players, um, and not you specifically, but just, you know, anyone trying to advocate for this, how to make it actually stick. You know, I guess one of the last things I, I wanted to, to talk about in terms of your story was you were mentioning in, in your experience doing therapy, the you leaving the session and the therapist saying, be, be nice to yourself, and then you saying, I'll try. And then four months later, be nice to yourself and you saying that you will. And that resonated with me a lot because I think like a lot of people, but specifically I think a lot of athletes and maybe male athletes more than female, I don't know, but athletes in general, you always have this satisfied but never or yeah. complacent attitude, right? And I to this day, even though it's been – I don't want to do the math on how long it's been since I've been in a competitive sports environment for something that mattered outside of beer league softball in the summers. I still maintain that attitude. And as we've talked about, it probably helps in some regards. And in other regards, it's like, dude, like, why do you need to be this way when it comes to, you know, this book you're reading about like, oh, you got to get like all these more pages in tonight or you know, whatever it might be. So I'm curious. Um. And obviously, you know, you dive into it as, as much as you're comfortable with. But in your in the time you had speaking with your therapist, what were the the tools that she empowered you with that took you from a place of, yeah, I'll try and be nicer to myself to no, yeah, I'll be nicer to myself. Yeah. So it, it kind of it starts with uh, it starts with programming how I was raised, um, ways of being, words that I heard terms that I heard the whole bit. Right. And I had this whole, uh, this whole system that I had adopted that I was unworthy, um, that I was never good enough, all these beliefs. And I mean, it's it still to this day, I still work on my belief systems and reprogramming, but in particular for that, the, the sessions in therapy, um, I was a little distraught when I went in the first day and, you know, we talked and we just scratched the surface. And she said, be kind to yourself. And I was like, okay, I'll try, you know. Um, and after consistently hearing 
that at the end of the sessions and she still says it to this day i'm like, like and you know now i'm like hell yeah well you know you too you know i get all excited the whole bit <laughs> but um it's really about it's really about consciously reprogramming your train of thought and when i speak about mental health mental health is in my experience of it that it, it is your way of thinking mental health is where does your mind go when X happens, when, when trauma arises and stuff. And I'm very thankful for the therapy because it reinforces it. You go to somebody, they take all your thoughts that are jumbled up. You put them out on a paper, so to speak, or you put them out there and then they take them and they sift through them one by one and give you another perspective. Now that's like a therapist, but like, you know, having a conversation with anybody's a therapy, a therapy session. This is, this is in essence a therapy session and you know, you put into the pot, you put in some terms and then you come back out with things sifted and sorted out. Um, but there's, there's just so much benefit to getting another perspective on your life. Kind of like watching film, you know, when, when you're in the game uh, or rather playing football, I use this analogy, like, you know, when I'm playing a football game, I, I can't go up in the, in the stands and watch the game while I'm playing. I need to, I need somebody out there. Let me know how I'm doing. And so speaking to this idea of like life, I can't stop my life, pause it, go sit down, watch the film and rewind the whole time. I got to live my life, but I can sift through it talking to somebody else. And I'm very thankful that there are people that are literally trained to do it. So it's, it was always beneficial to have that in my corner. I was here for it. And as you mentioned, that sort of external um view on just sort of what's going on is just so crucial in all aspects of our mm -hmm. life and, and and you nailed it and you know Windsor is obviously so lucky to not only have you as one of their native sons but back at the school that you made them so proud playing where you're now coaching and able to influence this next crop of young men to uh you know just change the way that uh, we perceive athletes and football players in general mm -hmm. and no doubt that'll you know hopefully that'll bring some positive change into the world um especially when we need it most um, Frank, thank you so much for joining us, sharing with uh, everyone watching and listening just your incredible story and this message of, I mean, I guess to, 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 to put it down into a little sentence as your therapist would say, being kind to yourself. Because that's a message that I'm sure so many people could benefit from just hearing a little more often. So Frank, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for chatting. Anytime, man. We're always happy to have you on. Yes, sir.